Well, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm 13. And as you're turning there, I uh, would like to bring you greetings on behalf of all of the brothers and sisters at Carlisle Reformed Presbyterian Church in South Central Pennsylvania. And it is a joy to be here with you all today. Before we read, let me ask you, uh, have, you at ever, have you ever been in a particularly low point in your life? Uh, perhaps you're at a low point right now. Uh, there have been past times that you felt thriving and energized in your Christian life, uh, but it seems dark right now. Uh, perhaps you know you should be praying, and you are praying, but God appears to be absent. Uh, well, the wonderful thing about the Psalms uh, is, is that they are like an anatomy of all parts of the soul. And it's as if the Holy Ghost himself were holding up a divine mirror uh, to show us all of the emotions that we can experience in our human lives. And, and better yet, it not, not only reveals to us the emotions that we experience, but, but it demonstrates how we can take those emotions before God. And best of all, in these Psalms, we see Jesus himself, uh, both in his humanity and in his divinity. Uh, Jesus, as a human, uh, sang these songs as a man, and we sing them as those who are united to him. And as, as divine, uh, we actually sing the psalm in praise to Christ himself as our God. Uh, well, let's hear together Psalm chapter 13. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say, I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Well, as we consider this psalm, you'll see first of all the superscription, uh, which is just as inspired as the rest of the psalm, even though it doesn't have a verse number. And we read that this psalm is to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Uh, so first of all, we notice that it's for the chief musician or the choir master, uh, and that designates that it's appropriate for public worship. Originally, uh, there would have been a, a team of professional Levites and choirs. Uh, you can actually read about how David set all those up and organized them in First Chronicles 25. Uh, that's actually one of my favorite chapters. If you want to know why, you can ask me after the service. Um, but now, we don't have a team of professional Levites and, and musicians standing up here, uh, but we ourselves, as the whole congregation, are, are the choir, and Christ himself is our choir master. Uh, we are offering worship to Jesus Christ, but he is also leading our worship as we are praising God the Father. In Hebrews 2 and verse 12, uh, Jesus himself declares, speaking to the Father, I will declare thy name in the midst of the assembly. In the church, I will give praise unto thee. 
And so as, as we read this uh, superscription, we can think about Jesus leading us in worship. We also see that it's a psalm of David, and we don't know exactly what the circumstances were. Sometimes it's noted what the particular event was that prompted him to write this, but we don't know here. It, it could be while he was being hounded by Saul or while he was driven out by Absalom. And we don't know, but the truth is that it's applicable to a wide range of circumstances in our own lives as it surely was in David's. Oh, well, uh, we'll consider this psalm in three different portions. Uh, first, in verses 1 and 2, we have a cry of distress. And then in verses 3 and 4, we have a call for deliverance. And finally, in verses 5 and 6, uh, we have a commitment to devotion. So first of all, a cry of distress, then a call for deliverance, and finally, a commitment to devotion. Or if you want a, a shorter outline, you can think of it in the, the three headings as first, a protest, and second, a prayer, and then finally, praise. A protest, prayer, and praise. Well, let's look first of all at the psalmist's cry of distress. We'll spend a little more time here uh, than in the second and third portions. The first thing we'll notice is uh, in these first two verses is that the the psalmist cries out a repeated phrase. Uh, children, I'll, as I read these first two verses, see if you can notice how many times uh, the psalmist says, how long? How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? If you were keeping count, you probably heard that phrase, how long, repeated four times. Uh, this is more than a mere request for information, like, you know, how, how long uh, before the evening service happens. He's not so much asking uh, when, but why? Why has it been so long? He can't endure it any longer. He's asking, God, have, have you abandoned me? Uh, children often uh, like this phrase, how long, right? They ask, you know, how long till we reach our destination? Or how long before I can have a snack? And, and we might find it annoying, uh, but God is not annoyed uh, when we ask him how long. In fact, we see this phrase, how long, repeated throughout scripture uh, by many godly people. Uh, it's the phrase, how long, is addressed to God no fewer than 23 times throughout the Bible. And I think that indicates to us uh, that our timing is often shorter than God's, uh, but also that God doesn't mind us asking this question uh, there are nine different psalms in which the psalmist asks, how long? Uh, Job asks, how long? Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel all ask God, how long? Habakkuk and Zechariah ask God, how long? And even in the New Testament, in Revelation, we see the martyrs uh, under the altar crying out, how long, O Lord, holy and true? Uh, do you not avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And this shows us that we can ask how long too. We don't ask it impatiently, but we can ask it with a note of urgency. In Psalm 119, the psalmist declares, Lord, it is time for you to act. And that is audacious. It, it, it might even seem impertinent or disrespectful if it were not modeled for us in scripture. Well, why is this psalmist asking how long? We can see that there are four elements to his complaint Four things about which he's asking how long. Uh, the psalmist feels that he's forgotten. 
He feels ignored, he feels dejected, and he feels oppressed. Forgotten, ignored, dejected, and oppressed. So you can see, first of all, that the psalmist feels forgotten. He says, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? However, uh, forever? Sometimes do you feel forgotten by God as you're coming to him in prayer? Uh, Perhaps there's a prayer that you've been praying for a very long time, and it doesn't seem that God is answering. It could be a prayer for a wayward child. It could be a prayer over some sickness that's been going on a long time. It could be a prayer for a job situation or some broken relationship. Uh, Children, have you ever prayed that one of your friends would be saved and would come to know Jesus? And you've been praying that prayer for them for a long time, but you don't see any change in their heart. This, this suffering can make us feel that God has forgotten about us, and we feel almost like a child who's, who's at the playground, and uh, their parents went home with the other children and forgot and left them behind at the playground. Sometimes we can feel like that. Uh, the psalmist also feels ignored. Uh, at the second part of verse 1, he asks, How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? In some ways, this seems almost worse. Uh, worse than God forgetting us would be if God did remember us, but he's intentionally ignoring us. Uh, But it can feel like that sometimes, can't it? In verse 2, the psalmist feels dejected. He asks, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Uh, This is the feeling of there being darkness, and the darkness is not lifting at all. Uh, The psalmist uh, is talking to himself here. He's, he's having, ca- taking counsel in his soul, having sorrow in his heart daily. And we all know uh, that in the Christian life, there, there are times where it can be helpful and encouraging to talk to ourselves, right? The, the psalmist sometimes says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And when we are talking to ourselves uh, before God and in light of God's word, uh, it can encourage us. Uh, but when, we, when God seems to be distant and he's not in the picture, it often feels that the more we talk to ourselves, uh, the worse we feel. Uh, But the truth is that all of God's children experience this sometimes. Even the Apostle Paul himself uh, recounted uh, the feeling of there being fighting without and fears within. Uh, Maybe you're not feeling this today. Uh, Maybe you came in feeling excited about the new year and you're feeling cheerful and you're thinking, uh, well, this is kind of depressing. Why are we considering a lament. Uh, Well, the the truth is uh, that even if you are rejoicing, uh, there are those around you who are probably weeping about something, and we are called to weep with those who weep. Uh, We're also recalled to remember our persecuted brethren and those who are in prison. And even if you are very cheerful now, uh, there will certainly be some time in your future where, where you're experiencing some affliction and And right now, if you are feeling strong, is the time to prepare uh, for future affliction. Well, we see the psalmist feeling forgotten, uh, feeling ignored, feeling dejected, and finally feeling oppressed. Uh, In the second half of verse 2, he says, How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Uh, Children, have you ever uh, experienced an encounter with a bully? Uh, hopefully you haven't been a bully yourself, um, but a bully is someone who picks on others and who delights in making other people feel miserable. And we have several bullies in the Christian life. Uh, we know them as the world 
and the flesh and the devil. Uh, the world uh, is our enemy as in times when we experience uh, external persecution. Uh, perhaps you are mistreated by colleagues or you are mistreated by a family member. Uh, we also experience oppression from the devil. Uh, when we encounter spiritual warfare, uh, there are times that God in his sovereign providence allows us to be afflicted by the devil uh, like, just like Job was. He doesn't allow him to do whatever he wants, but he does allow the devil to afflict us to a certain degree. And uh, perhaps what we know closest to home is when we're oppressed by our own flesh and weighed down by the old man, the sin that's still within us. Uh, if you flip forward to Psalm 38, we see an example of that oppression that we can experience from our own sins. In Psalm 38 and verse 3, the psalmist says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, speaking to God. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As an heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am greatly troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. What can we take away from this, this series uh, of, of difficulties that the, uh, that the psalmist is experiencing? Well, I think one thing is that it's okay to tell God exactly how we feel. Uh, God gives afflictions that can last a very long time, but he gives faith that lasts even longer. And we can use that faith to take our complaints before God. Um, you probably know that in the Christian life, we don't just want to follow our feelings, uh, but this is different from that. The Christian uh, here, the psalmist, David speaking, isn't being carried along by his feelings. No, he's actually taking his feelings and carrying them before God and laying them out before God. Just like it says in 1 Peter, casting all your care upon him because he careth for you. And we can learn that it's even okay to complain to God. Uh, we're not complaining uh, about him or against him, but we are taking our complaint to him, and he welcomes that. Uh, we also see that our prayers don't have to be uh, theological essays. It, it's okay to just pour out your feelings before God. Uh, perhaps you don't even know what to pray except uh, you just feel despair. Well, even if that's the only feeling you have, it's okay to take that to, before God. Uh, the very act of bringing it to God is hopeful in itself uh, because the fact that you're taking it to God means that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and that he is prompting you to go to God and, and he is making intercession on your behalf. Uh, think of the Holy Spirit uh, at the beginning of the creation when he was brooding over the dark waters there at the beginning of the creation and in the same way, the Holy Spirit, it's as if he's hovering over the darkness of our souls. And even if all you feel is despair, take that before God. Uh, there, you might want to consider examples of how you could incorporate uh, emotional questions like this into your own prayers. Uh, for example, perhaps you've been asking God for a long time to uh, 
to, to bring someone to faith, a dear friend or family member that you have. And perhaps your prayers have gone something like, Lord, I pray once again that you would save so-and-so. Well, that's fine to pray that way, but if you are feeling deeply emotional about it, it's okay to express it in a passionate way to God. You could say, how long, O Lord, will this dear friend of mine remain in unbelief? How long before you open their eyes and, and, and they come to trust in Christ? Or perhaps you're feeling discouraged. It's okay to come to God and say, God, I'm feeling discouraged today. Uh, please, please revive my spirits. That's okay. But it's also okay to say, how long, O Lord, will I, will I feel this way? How long before you revive me and give me encouragement? I think another takeaway uh, we can take from this cry of distress is that when we are ministering to our fellow believers, uh, we want to avoid giving overly simplistic answers to them. And from what I hear, I think you as a congregation are doing well in not giving simplistic answers, but in ministering very compassionately to each other. But for all of us, it can be a temptation sometimes to give people answers that sound pious, uh, but don't really match the scriptural example, even if we're quoting scripture. Uh, For example, if uh, someone feels forgotten or ignored by God, it could be very easy to tell them, Uh, Well, the Bible says that God never forgets his people and that the eyes of the Lord are always on the righteous. And and that's true, but that doesn't change the fact that sometimes we do feel forgotten and ignored by God. Uh, When someone feels dejected and oppressed, it could be very easy to say, well, we're called to rejoice in the Lord. And that is true, uh, but it's also true that God uh, welcomes us to lament and to grieve before him. So even though all of those things are true, uh, we can't use them to short-circuit, as it were, the process of of laying out our our complaint and our grief before God. And part of the reason we know it's okay to do that is because Jesus himself uh, embodied all of the aspects of this cry of distress that we see here. Uh, Jesus was forgotten uh, by his disciples and by God himself. He prayed, Uh, Lord, take this cup from me. Father, take this cup from me. Uh, But that prayer was not answered. He was ignored uh, by God himself. Uh, And on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that moment, the father did not answer. He he turned away from his son. Uh, Jesus Christ uh, was uh, dejected. Think of when Jesus was in the garden. And he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And he was in anguish. And, um, and he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And Jesus uh, was oppressed. He was oppressed by the world and all of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Romans who were persecuting him. He was oppressed um, by the devil who tempted him and He was oppressed uh, by the flesh, not his own flesh, since, of course, he was without sin, uh, but all of our sins were laid upon him, and he was carrying all of them. And ultimately, he was oppressed by God himself as he was on the cross. Uh, We read in Isaiah that it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and Jesus himself was crushed by God. And since Jesus felt forgotten, and Jesus felt ignored, and Jesus was dejected and Jesus was oppressed, we know that he is able to sympathize with us. He can sympathize with you when you are feeling those things. 
Not only can he sympathize, um, but he, he models for us uh, the path of how we call out to God when we are feeling this way. Uh, so having considered the psalmist's cry of distress, let's look next at the psalmist's call for deliverance and knowing that uh, because Christ is so sympathetic with us, he will listen when we call out to him. The psalmist says in verses 3 and 4, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say, I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. We see here a call for God to answer and to enlighten him, to lighten mine eyes. And this is a wonderful uh, request to make to God because God himself is light. I think of the very first chapter of the Bible uh, that God said, let there be light. And there was light. Uh, Think about in Exodus when God sent the plagues upon the Egyptians and the whole land of Egypt was in darkness. uh, But the people of God, the children of Israel, had light in their dwellings. And of course, uh, most fully, Jesus is the light. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus is uh, the, truly the light for when all other lights go out. Uh, he's even better than that light of Galadriel in the Lord of the Rings. He is the light that we most need. And so let me ask you today, uh, are, are you living in the light? Uh, can you say, once I was blind, but now I see through Christ? Can you say that? Are you able to say that God who commanded the light to shine in the darkness has shined in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Or are you still walking in darkness today? I urge you not to remain in the darkness. Uh, Your circumstances might be very dark, but as dark as our circumstances can be, uh, the darkness that is in our souls, if we don't know Jesus Christ, is much darker than that. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 5, we hear a call to awake. Uh, He says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Uh, Now is the day to turn from the darkness of sin and to ask God to give you the light of Christ if you don't have it already. Or perhaps you can sit here today and say, Yes, uh, God has opened my eyes. Uh, He has given me the light of Christ. And that's wonderful, but perhaps you're saying, but my my vision feels cloudy and and blurry and I need fresh light. Well, the wonderful thing is that the light of Christ isn't like, you know, fireworks that just go off and and then they're over and it was fun, but it was kind of a one-time flash. And no, the light of Christ is is like those amazing new LED flashlights they have nowadays where where they guarantee it will last for 10,000 hours. Um, The... The, the light of Christ is enduring in that way. And how can you receive this light? Well, primarily, we receive the light of Christ uh, through his word and, and through the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. And uh, the, the whole Bible is just full of, of, of references to light. But uh, one thing that could help, just one practical step, could be to find a verse about light and just meditate on that. You could you could write it down on a little slip of paper and keep it with you, or, or you could even work on memorizing it. Uh, 
One such verse is in Micah chapter 7 and verse 8, in which the psalmist says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, when I, fall I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. That's Micah 7 and verse 8. Or another verse that you could meditate on is one of my favorites is Psalm 18 and verse 28, in which the psalmist says, For thou wilt light my candle. The Lord, my God, will enlighten my darkness. Now just think about the, the joy you experience. Perhaps if there's a power outage and you're hunting for the candles and, and you finally find the candle and you light it and the light fills the whole room and and, and what a joyful experience that is. And that's God's promise to you. The Lord will light your candle. Well, having considered the psalmist's uh, cry of distress and then the psalmist's call for deliverance, uh, let's look finally at the psalmist's commitment to devotion. In verses 5 and 6, the psalmist says, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Wow, there's a dramatic transformation here. Uh, the psalmist was feeling forgotten and ignored and dejected and oppressed, and now he's praising and extolling the Lord. So what has happened? Well, we don't read that there's been any particular change in his circumstances. Uh, it seems that he himself has changed. The psalmist has changed. And is that not often your experience, that, that you're experiencing a difficult set of circumstances and you come before God in prayer, uh, you're dejected, everything seems dark, uh, you don't have any peace, everything seems blurry, and then slowly, as you are waiting upon God, uh, you begin to see glimpses of his character and his faithfulness, and his past mercies, and your soul can rest on those promises. And maybe nothing has changed in your circumstances, uh, but you begin to trust God more, and, and, and the fog begins to part. It can sometimes take uh, months or years, uh, but, but this is God's commitment to us. Uh, we see that the psalmist trusts in God. He says, but I have trusted in thy mercy. Uh, this mercy of God, his, his, uh, his steadfast love, sometimes it's translated, his covenant-keeping love, his, his faithfulness, his faithful covenant-keeping love. Where else can we trust? Uh, we, we can't trust in the number of friends that we have. Uh, we, we certainly can't trust in how hard we've tried. Uh, we can't even trust in uh, how fervent our prayers are or um, how... Just the depth of devotion we have to God, as, as wonderful that, as that is, we can't trust in any of those things. Ultimately, our only hope is in the mercy of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, where else can we go? Um, but how firm a foundation for our trust God's mercy is. And we see that the psalmist's trust uh, doesn't stay silent. It just blossoms forth into rejoicing. He says, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Uh, this assurance that, that Christ is your light is such a wonderful cause for rejoicing. And, and Jesus Christ himself actually models this kind of rejoicing um, for us as he trusted in his Father. Uh, you can see that if you just look a few psalms forward at Psalm 16. 
Uh, Psalm 16, uh, verses uh, 7 to the end, uh, these of course were originally spoken by David, but they're ultimately fulfilled in Christ and in how Jesus Christ trusted his Father and models for us what that trust and that rejoicing looks like. He says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And Jesus models for us that trust. And as we are united to him, we can pray that same prayer of trust and rejoicing to God. But it doesn't stop there. The psalmist trusts God, the trust blossoms forth into rejoicing, and then the rejoicing bursts forth into singing. He concludes by saying, I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Uh, notice that this uh, expression, I will sing unto the Lord, is singular. I will sing unto the Lord. Uh, there are many times, of course, throughout the Bible in which we are all commanded together to sing through the Lord. Uh, we're, we're gathered here to do that today, and that's wonderful. Um, but singing isn't just something that has, happens in corporate worship or when you're gathered together with, uh, um, with other believers. Uh, it's also wonderful just to sing to God individually throughout the week as you praise him. And that might just be a question to ask yourself. Uh, when was the last time I just sang to God on my own? Uh, Children, once again, are a good example of this for us. Uh, they're not ashamed to just kind of go singing all the time, right? And uh, we might find it a little annoying after a while, but I can promise you that God is never annoyed with you singing praises to him. Um, and if it feels a little awkward, uh, one way you could start is maybe when you're in the car, just putting on a recording and singing along. It's just a wonderful experience to sing to God, of course, together, but, but also individually throughout the week. Uh, the psalmist has abundant cause to sing to the, God, to the Lord because he says, he has dealt bountifully with me. I love this word uh, bounty. I actually once uh, named um, my cat af after um, this very verse here. I named my cat Bounty uh, because of the bounty that God gives us. Uh, this is a super abundance that the psalmist is speaking of. It's, it's what Psalm 23 is talking about when it says, my cup runs over. Uh, it's, it's pictured for us in, in the feeding of the 5,000 when, when there were all these hungry people and Jesus fed all, all of them. And then they collected the leftovers and there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. It's a, a super abundance. Uh, perhaps you can think of a Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner and, and afterward you're hoping there will be really good dessert. And... Uh, you could imagine coming to the dessert table and being disappointed because there's one pie and you know it's going to be, have to be cut up and divided among a dozen people and you're just going to get one thin sliver. Uh, well, that's not the picture we have here. Uh, you're supposed to be picturing like a whole table full of pies and there's summer fruit pie and there's pecan pie and there's cranberry crunch pie and there's pumpkin pie and uh, there's the, the secret family recipe, the butterscotch chiffon pie, and you know that everyone will have as much pie as they want. 
Well, that's the picture for us in, in God's uh, blessings to us. Uh, and and there, there are that many reasons to sing to him. Uh, there's so many different things that we can sing to God about. Uh, you can thank God, for example, for just the justification in Christ and for forgiveness. And you might find a, a, a song to sing to God that goes along with that. For example, you could sing uh, the hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain an Interest in the Savior's Blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? And you can sing that to God in praising you for saving him. Uh, you could think about uh, the God's promise of the resurrection and eternal life with him and, and sing a song to God about that. You could, you could sing uh, the resurrection hymn um, that concludes, Soar we now where Christ has led, following our exalted head, made like him, like him we rise, ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Or if you don't know what to sing, you could sing uh, some psalm or hymn uh, that is just a smorgasbord of all of God's uh, blessings to us. Uh, one of my favorites is Psalm 146 because it's like a little miniature biography of every Christian. Um, it's the setting that begins, Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. And I love the, the second verse, which just piles blessing upon blessing that God has given us. Food he daily gives the hungry, sets the morning prisoner free. Raises those bowed down with anguish, makes the sightless eyes to see. That's your story. If you're trusting in Christ, God has done that for you. You were hungry and he's fed you. Uh, you were uh, lame and he's made you to stand and walk. You were blind and he's given you new sight. As you think about praising God, I encourage you to think uh, about how long you sometimes pray for something and, and then uh, would encourage you to match up your praises in the same way. So if, if you've been praying for something for three months and then God answers that prayer, do you just say a brief thank you or do you keep praising him for three months afterward? I'm, I'm not trying to suggest some legalistic rule about how you have to do it, but, but we do want our mouths to be filled with God's praise. Uh, if God has given you a particular blessing or answered a prayer in a particular way, it could even be appropriate to mark it on the calendar and continue to praise God on anniversaries of, of the prayer request that he answered. Well, we've seen the psalmist's cry of distress, we've seen his call for deliverance, and we've seen his commitment to devotion. And uh, let us uh, go to God and, and seek that, that he would enable us to follow this same pattern as we are trusting and resting in Christ. Let us pray together. Our triune God, uh, we bless your name as we come before you today. Uh, Father, we thank you that you not only love to hear our praises and our doxologies, but you also love to hear our laments and our cries of distress. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that as a man, uh, you took on all our sorrows and griefs. Uh, even unto death, uh, we thank you that you experience the full range of human emotions and there's nothing that we feel that you are unable to sympathize with. And Holy Ghost, we thank you that you are interceding for us and when we don't know what to pray, uh, that you are, are even uttering uh, cries and groans on our behalf. 
Father and Son and Holy Ghost, uh, we praise you and we, we ask you that you would make us quick to come to you both uh, with our cries for help and also with our praises and expressions of joy and thanksgiving. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.